Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinaweber. You had sort of a Casey Kasem-like deep voice there for the intro. Proud of you. Yeah, man. I've been listening to the top 10 on Saturday mornings. Do you listen to that with Casey Kasem? No. I did when I was a He's kid. dead. Is he dead? Wow. He's been dead for years. <sighs> he still speaketh. I'm, um, I'm out of the loop. Slightly. Well, it's good to be back uh, with the Casey Kasem of podcasting, namely one Tommy Park. And we're continuing through the Shorter Catechism, back on the horse, back in the saddle. We're not off the wagon, we're on the wagon. Oh, yeah. And this today is the way to really get back on it. It is. So question 88 is what we're talking about today. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. So we're here because having talked about the law all of its applications, uh, and transitioning to our inability to keep the law, like we talked about with Neil Stewart in the last episode, and uh, well, not last episode, two episodes ago, two episodes or ago, two weeks, well, at the end of season two. So. That's right. And I mean, we've had uh, Shawn Michael Lucas with Faith and Repentance, and so, and this week we'll have our good old friend Mike Glotto back. Repeat offender so. and. So, having considered the law, our inability to keep it, the necessity then of faith and repentance toward Christ, who has kept the law on our behalf, we now transition to the means whereby the grace of God is communicated to us. So, how is it that we even know to have faith and repent towards Christ? How is it, too, that God continues to conform us into the image of his Son? He uses means. And those means are the word sacraments and prayer. So what we're doing today is we're just kind of tracing the umbrella and we'll, we'll tackle the word sacraments and prayer in successive episodes. Yeah, a little intro on what's called the means of grace. The means of grace. So the means of grace, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption? We're going to take this question and answer uh, in two headings, two fell swoops. We're going to do the quality of the means, what are the means like, and then the effectiveness of the means. Are they effective? Do they work? Yeah. So let's let's go there, Tommy. Tell us about the quality of the means. Yeah. I mean, the first thing we can see or say, uh, particularly what the catechism points out, is that the these means of grace, these, these things that Christ uses to communicate uh, his benefits of redemption to us are outward. And so that's another way of saying it's it's not a secret. They're visible, they're concrete, and these are the things that God uses to communicate his benefits, his grace to us. So again, the catechism spells it out. The word, as we get to that episode, you know, not just the reading of it, but more particular the preaching of it, uh, the sacraments, Lord's Supper, baptism, and that of prayer. Uh, and that's how it's interesting, and we'll point this out some more. This is how the catechism kind of 
winds down as it were, mm-hmm. you know, that they're, that this is how we're going to grow in our, in our faith, in our belief is that we're going to be in the word. We're going to be involved with the sacraments and that of prayer. Yeah. God's not hiding. God is out there. He makes himself known both to the learned and the unlearned. So that's the great thing about the word. You know, the word can be read and heard. And so even people in the ancient world that were illiterate, they can hear the word, they can participate in the sacraments and anyone can pray. So they're, they're outward, they're readily and easily accessible, whether you're a person with PhD in front of your name or whether you're a small child, there's something in God's revelation and in his outward means that can be accessed by all. Yeah, particular to kind of build on your point there exactly, you know, springboard to the confession, how does the confession describe how the word of God should be laid out for us in our modern day? It's like mm-hmm. fancy language. I'm putting you on the spot. Starts with a V, ends with vulgar. Oh, yeah, the vulgar tongue and language. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, the common language of the day. You know, so, again, not to keep it in the Latin, not to keep it, but to – that God, our God is one who actually speaks. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that's, we see that throughout the kind of the story of human history or church history, particularly that God reveals himself and wants to be known. It's so fitting that you're wearing a monk robe today and that you have a hammer in your hand as you're podcasting and you have a list of like 95 grievances. Like that's eerily similar of a figure. In These are things history. I want to discuss with you, Stephen. Okay. But my, my this is going to be a festivist episode. Uh, I got problems with you people. And Calvin talks about this as well with reference to the sacraments, not just that the word ought to be presented in the, in the vulgar language, a way that can be understood, but God has communicated to his physical creatures through material and concrete means, namely the Lord's Supper and baptism, the beauties of the gospel. So God knows, and Calvin kind of uses this imagery, that like a child, we need pictures to see and understand concepts that are communicated in words. It's just beyond our pay grade. God condescends to our weakness and gives us means of grace that are appropriate to being physical creatures. He's given us the word in sacrament. And so we taste the word, we see the word, we feel the word, we smell all these things. It's a visual and physical experience when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. What Psalm thirty four eight, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's a you know, every time we get to and the, and these are not just like pictures on a wall. These are things we participate in. That's a great point. So you know, for example, even the preaching of the word, we you know, we think we are passive and we'll get to this in, in the next couple of weeks, but we think we're passive, but we're actually an active participate in the preaching of the word by listening. And again, the shorter catechism, in particular the larger catechism, talks about how to prepare for that. Um, and then even the baptism, even the not our baptism, but even you know a new believer or a child coming into the, the visible kingdom, no, we still participate in that. And then the Lord's Supper is kind of the easy one that we kind of ongoing participate in. But these are things that Again, are not God's not hiding. He's visible, and he's he wants to be known. Yeah, and these are the things he's 
You know, I think C.S. Lewis talks about how our God whispers to us. Well, these are the things that he yells at us Mm -hmm. to remind us of how much uh, he loves us and to communicate his grace and also the benefits that are found in him particularly. Yeah, so they're they're outward, but they're also ordinary. That's the second qualifier, the quality of the means. They're, They're very ordinary, not ornate, and they're not available only at special times or seasons of the year. It's actually the exact opposite of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, just to be clear and reminding everybody that the Old Testament was not proof that God wasn't gracious or that he was, the fact that he allowed the sinful people to approach him at all was supremely gracious of him and to give them a a means to do that. So there were means of grace. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a means of grace that God used to draw his people near to him. However, the means of grace that we have are more ordinary. Our confession or catechism says that though they have less outward glory, they are better because they more clearly communicate to us the truths of the gospel than did the Paschal Lamb, the Tabernacle. So it's better to be a New Testament Christian with a Bible, with the Lord's Supper and baptism, than it was to be an Old Covenant Jew, even with the bells and the smells and the the massive temple and tabernacle. What we have is better because it more clearly points us to Christ. And it's available all the time. Uh, the Lord's Day, granted, you would say, well, that, that only comes one day a week. That's that's true. But between, uh, other than the sacraments, you can read the word at any time. You and can pray anytime. You can pray anytime. What does Paul say? Pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the readily accessible nature of this, I think, is is one thing, but it's also super ordinary. It's not going to turn your head like if if our church... And this is interesting. Think of like Mormon tabernacles. What are they patterned after? They're patterned after Old Testament religion, you know, with the with the big uh, baptismal fonts, with the ox. Like they're, they're literally trying to arrest your attention and your mind with this big, impressive display of religion. But Jesus and everything about the New Testament says, no, it's going to be ordinary from here on out. Yeah, or simple, you know, you know, it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's just simple. It's not like we need a new update, you know, like our, our iPhones. We long for that new update of the the I, I, o, I, iOS I, yeah, system. No, this is the same agenda that God, God has given us. Mm-hmm. Post-Jesus, what we're going to get, what's the best for us as Christians, word, being involved with the church, so AK, being, you know, so we can be involved with the sacraments and prayer, you know, and they're, you know, I mean, I see it a lot in the college campus. I'm assuming you see it a lot as a pastor. Like, you know, how do I grow as a Christian? How do I mature? And we, you know, is it this new book or is this new technique? Is this new new no. conference, which yeah. is like revivalism? Right? Yeah, yeah, no. And the catechism is kind of urging us and reminding us how we grow and mature and what we need for that communication of the gospel and the benefits that are there in the gospel is are simple or mm-hmm. ordinary. Uh, and that's a really good reminder. I think especially to young people, uh, as a young person, I will say, and I preached on this recently, about when, when you're looking for a good church, generally speaking, we are concerned more with the accidents than we are with the essence of the church, I think sinfully. We're drawn to 
what is the church doing? You know, what is the um, singles ministry? What's the marrieds ministry? What does your building look like? You know, how many people come to your church? All of these are accidents. These are these are data points. The thing that should be of primary importance to us is what has Christ done for this church and what is he doing in the church? And I think we can take, um, I think we're right to criticize you know, things like Roman Catholicism for having a preoccupation with the external and taking that which really should be an ordinary means of communicating God's grace and making them extraordinary. Unless you become a priest, you can't you know, enjoy this nearness to God like the priest can. But I think even as evangelicals, we got to be super careful that we don't despise the ordinariness and the plainness and even just the unremarkableness of a local church in pursuit of, I want to find a church that does all the things I want it to do. This is the objective measure of a good church. Are they preaching the word? Are they administering the sacraments and are they praying? If so, try to look past all the accidents and get to the essence. Are they doing what they ought to be doing? Yeah, and you bring out a great point because the essence part that you're speaking of transforms age and culture and mm-hmm. demographics. Like It's so ordinary and so simple that bread and wine and baptism and prayer and the word transcends different is world it could be worldwide you know it's like you don't have to have i mean like everybody has a loaf of bread everybody has a form of it's portable yeah 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 you You can you can worship christ as a church anywhere and so and and it has and we've seen it throughout you know the world yeah so so it's super ordinary and and oftentimes i think we don't look for ordinary because we really don't believe that the ordinary is going to cut it. And that's where I think we need to act in faith and live by faith, not by sight. So if you live by sight, you're probably going to say, okay, I'm going to go by what I can see. What are the accidents? What are the data points? What are the metrics? Does this church wow me? As opposed to, do I really believe that if a gospel minister faithfully preaches to me if he prays for me and my family and if the sacraments are put before the congregation that that's really going to be enough for me to have a vital spiritual life so i'd encourage everybody you know don't live by what you can see uh, live by faith and believing that god's going to really use ordinary churches ordinary christians in your life to help mature you in ordinary means, of course. Second point. Second point. Effectiveness of the means. So are they always effective, though? Uh, we, we really stress that they can do a great deal in the lives of people, but would we say that they are universally or always effective means of communicating grace? Well, one, I don't think they... The Shorter Catechism talks about their effectiveness, particularly with believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they communicate those benefits and that grace and redemption to believers. Uh, for the unregenerate or the non-Christian, you know, maybe they speak of, you know, I guess they're not effectual in in the way they are to a believer, right? So, yeah. Well, I think there it's it's not going to be at best, 
you know, they'll have the gospel put before them. We hope that they don't partake of the Lord's Supper because First Corinthians 11, they'll eat and drink judgment on themselves. Paul talks about that. Well, and we, I mean, I know I've said it. I assume it, you've said it, you know, you know, when you've fenced the table, you know, and we'll probably talk about that later in a oh, different yeah. episode, but you know, what do we encourage non-believers to do? Like take Jesus, Believe not the gospel, not this, you know, this foretaste of what, it, but actually take the, the essence. Yeah. You know, take Jesus, uh, you know, believe on him. And there's a benefit to being present at the administration of the Lord's Supper. So yeah, you're, you know, a, an unbeliever can read the Bible and yet they're not going to benefit from the word like a Christian will. And why is that fundamentally? It's because they're not yet regenerate. And 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that's like putting a man, a blind man, before the Mona Lisa and wondering why. Why can't he see the beauty? Because he didn't have the eyes to see. And so we need to realize that the word, yes, I think also due in part to its ordinariness and its plainness in, in the matters of salvation, it's going to look like pe- to people that are unregenerate, this is it? Y'all really think this can like change people's hearts? Yes and no. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses the word to convince and convert sinners. But um, without the help of the Holy Spirit, a natural person can't understand. I think how... You know, we encourage that the sacraments are only done in a church setting. Right. And I think one reason is that is that it does communicate certain things to the believer and the unbeliever that, you know, that God is calling us into something. And so even if you're participating or watching or witnessing a baptism, everybody who outwardly has said, I have put my faith in Jesus is uniquely participating in that event. Mm-hmm. Either you're the one getting baptized or you're the one if it's an infant you know parents getting vows to but also there's a vow to the the, the members of the in church the bco it's optional and you're a bco nerd we need to change that make it mandatory it says optional well maybe my old copy but yeah. you know bco talk guys sorry yeah. uh talk at shop with tommy but yeah there there's a participation but I there. do think, and I, I'm getting to this, even though it's not effectually in a salvific way, but mm-hmm. I do think it, it provides a witness to the unbeliever. Exactly. That they can watch. There's a common grace benefit, but yeah. not a saving grace kind of benefit. Yeah, yeah. That's good, yeah. Good, good, good job. Thanks, buddy. And we want to say, too, we believe they're effective, but that the Spirit of God is in no way tied to these like a dog to a chain john 3 8 the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit and this is leading up to john three sixteen and nicodemus being told by jesus you know you got to be re- rebirthed reborn regenerated so we don't believe as Presbyterians, and we're going to talk about this in another episode for sure, we don't believe every person that receives baptism is saved thereby. We don't believe every person, regardless of faith or not, who partakes of the Lord's Supper is is actually receiving grace. It's not a, a vending machine. But these are the places and times where God says, meet me here in faith, and I'll be there, and he does not stand up as elect. 
So we've never been stood up by God. Either we failed to show ourselves or we were never taking them in faith. And so that's that's a reminder. This is God's promise. And he says, be here and I will meet you. Do this in faith and you'll be blessed. And these these are the tools he's given us. So, yeah. Now it's just unique how God works. Again, you know, we think particularly maybe just in America, our first century, you know, the first, first world problem. 21st century. Yeah. First yeah. world problem. <laughs> you know, that, you know, we want all the bells and the whistles and all these things. However, God, through all time in history, through all people groups, picked very simple, ordinary things to communicate the essence of who he is. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. Authenticity. I think that's a word kind of thrown around. This is authentic. This is this is real. This is genuine. And inevitably, all of our attempts to manufacture authenticity just come off inauthentic. And when we want to get closer to God, we make up new ways or you know, forms of worship to try and attain that. I think we all confess that it, it doesn't work. Why? Because you got to move on to something else soon. And yet these, as you said, are the tried and true ways this is the way that God has ordained. And so we are to, with humility and thanks, receive God's blessings through these means in faith, believing that if we apply ourselves to these, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time, and that's one of the challenges with pursuing these means of grace, we don't always feel like this is what we need, and yet we know it is deep down inside. Yeah, and even the catechism stresses that reality that these are the things that actually strengthen our soul. Mm-hmm. So, well, we've are got a good episode planned with Mike Lodo. Yep, It'd be fantastic. Yep. So come back on Thursday. Tell your friends. Well, thanks, Tommy, and thanks so much, everybody else, for taking the time and joining the conversation around the shorter catechism. We enjoyed it very much. We're looking forward to the interview with Professor Mike Lodo of RTS Orlando. Tommy is ripping off his shirt right now and revealing an RTS Orlando shirt underneath, like Superman. It's the promised land. It's R- the promised land. RTO. RTSO. Well, Florida's the promised land, and that's just the, the promised land of the promised lands. <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody. We look forward to chatting with you. Until then, keep it short. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption. All his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Yeah. What are the Charmaine.